right. Well, we are going to talk, as I prayed, about music this morning. And uh, this is a very important part, obviously, of this discussion on the arts, and specifically the arts within the church. And uh, so we'll spend uh, quite a bit of time on this, and uh, we'll even get uh, very specific with, uh, with regard to the music that, uh, that we sing and that we, um, and that we listen to uh, here within a Redeemer Baptist Church and uh, give uh, reason for why we do certain things and why we don't do certain others and, uh, and the thinking behind all of that and maybe some discussion revolving around those things. So uh, one of the biggest influences, I would say, that revolves around the so-called uh, generation gap is this issue of music. In the modern world, music, in more ways than most, defines what uh, youth culture is uh, each and every generation. Uh, so most of us probably don't listen to our parents' music. Um, maybe some of it, uh, you kind of hear it and you get a little nostalgic because you heard it riding in the, uh, in the station wagon while you were running around in the back without a seatbelt because you used to be allowed to do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, for the most part, they listened to stuff and it wasn't quite what you wanted to listen to and maybe you were allowed to listen to what you wanted or maybe you weren't and you were always a little frustrated with that and so eventually you, uh, you got to and it changed things. It changed uh, how we related to one another in that area of life. And that's not a, that's not a modern phenomenon. That's always been the case. Uh, if, you, if you think about... Um, I know my parents' generation, uh, my grandparents, what they listen to, my parents uh, really don't want anything to do with. And ironically, my favorite music is more along the lines of what my grandparents listened to and certainly has nothing to do with what my parents liked because they like that noise that's often called music in the style of country. It's awful. Now, can, and here's the leading question... <laughs> Can the influence of music affect a listener's mood any differently today than it has in the rest of history? Is music important not just in terms of the words that are often put to it, but in its style, in its genre, in, its, in the mood that it creates and what it does uh, to us and for us and in us? Uh, remember we talked about um, standards of beauty the last few weeks, and we talked about things like proportionality and harmony and simplicity and complexity and all of these different concepts. But we have to think now, how do these principles play out in music? What do we think about music? When I think about music, I think about uh, all of my senses, and I've always loved music my, my whole life, my whole upbringing. And I think if I had to lose one of my senses, to me, one of the worst senses to lose would be that of hearing. Uh, because I just love music. I, my life, I have music playing pretty much all day long. I can't sit in my office when it's quiet. I like music playing in the background. Uh, it helps me to think and to focus. Uh, I would hate the fact that I wouldn't be able to, uh, to hear. I would rather lose some other form of, uh, of a sense um, but we all have different opinions about music. We all have different preferences in music. And this, this gets back to some of the conversations we've had about objectivity versus subjectivity. 
And what is it that moves us to like one thing and to not like another where someone else might like something that we don't? And so we're going to talk about those things. And uh, I believe that all of us are far more conditioned to like certain types of music than we realize. And I want to prove that to you as we compare Western music to Eastern music, for example. I doubt that any of you really will like Eastern music um, because our ears are not attuned to that, and they never have been. So let's just talk about what music is first, and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, continue uh, thinking more specifically, but I think it's important. Some of you here probably don't have any kind of musical background, and uh, so when we talk musical terms, it becomes uh, rather uh, obscure, and maybe uh, it's completely lost on you, and it sounds like uh, it sounds to you like it does to me when you talk about um, some kind of math equation or something. Uh, ironically, music is full of mathematics. Uh, It's the only kind of math I ever did with any amount of joy. Um, Now, music has something that we call pitch. And I'm sure all of us have heard of of pitch. And uh, scientifically, that's sound waves that are vibrating. That doesn't, that doesn't sound very attractive. It doesn't sound amazing uh, when if, if we said, I'm going to go listen to my favorite sound waves as they vibrate through the air. Uh, that's not very exciting. That's not very enticing. Uh, have, you, have you picked up the latest uh, sound waves that vibrate when you play them on your radio? Um, it just doesn't have the same ring to it. Uh, but this is what's happening. There's mathematical ranges with various sounds that we're hearing as the waves uh, penetrate the air and get into our ears. Um, now, music is not made up of a single pitch. It's made up of various pitches uh, either played in sequence to make a melody or there's multiple tones. So, you know, bear with me today. I'm going to play a lot of music either on the piano or we're going to listen to some things. Uh, so I'll probably be back and forth here. Um, but think of, a, think of a melody. And these are important terms that we think about because as we get into uh, thinking about the music within the church, uh, this, this will be even more important. Uh, so this is a song. What song is that? Is that a melody or is that a harmony? It's a melody. Why? Because we have single pitches and they are all played in a sequence, but they're not, uh, they're not tied to any other notes. <laughs> to remember what note it was. Now we can think of a harmony where you layer notes on top of each other. And so as you do that, as these start to layer, then you have harmonies. Now some of them are pleasing. It's more of a hotel lounge. Uh, Some of them are not so pleasing. If you uh, have some dissonance in there, and sometimes that's helpful and sometimes that's not, but it's still a harmony. It doesn't have to sound good necessarily to be a harmony. What we're talking about is notes that are stacking and being played together. And we hear pitches all day long. You hear anything that you're doing, you're hearing music. Right now, I shouldn't say music, you're hearing pitches. Right now, you're hearing pitches. What pitches are we hearing in this room right now? What's that? My voice, exactly. What else? 
Yeah, something with our loud AC unit, exactly. That's been getting louder and louder, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Some, some of our uh, more mature saints have a constant ringing in their ears. Uh, <laughs> what else? Yeah, any of those little sounds. These are all, these are all pitches that we hear uh, day by day. Uh, the chirping of a bird. Uh, the sound of your own voice. The growl of an engine in a car as it passes by. The shattering of a glass. The, the, the wind as you can hear it blowing through the trees. These are all different pitches and all these different sounds. Uh, we have the power and the ability to hear by God's grace, if we have ears to hear in the physical sense. Um, but they also have the ability to affect the heart and the soul. Can you name a sound, not music, but just a pitch, that if you hear it, it's going to make your heart start to race really quickly? Scream. A scream, right. What else? What's that? A baby crying, yes, especially if you're a mom who's raised uh, uh, brand new babies. As soon as you hear that, I know dads too. We just uh, nails. <laughs> nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, mine is, and I have a hard time even saying this because it makes me cringe. Is when people take a metal spoon and scrape it along the side of styrofoam. It just is awful. <laughs> it's that yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We all have these things, right? And why, why? Why do they do that to us? Why does the sound of an alarm clock make us feel that way? It's just a noise. Yeah, Derek. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Dr. Darwin. <laughs> why? Why do, we, why do we have this kind of reaction, Mark. Yeah, good. If we heard uh, two large uh, pieces of metal ram into each other behind us right here, what would we assume? There's a big car accident and we're concerned about people's safety and everything else. Now, if we were at the, uh, if we were at the um, junkyard and we heard that, we probably wouldn't respond the same, would we? <laughs> yeah, then it's cool. Then it's something you want to see. If you're at a monster truck rally, it's very different than if you're on, uh, if you're on Highway 21, you're on Goshen Road, and you hear those same kinds of sounds. Right? So sound has a way of influencing us and affecting us in ways that we generally don't necessarily think about. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, yeah. And then what we tell our children, especially about what that sound is, influences how they start to think about that, right? A goblin, yeah. It's a really scary monster, and if you don't go to sleep, yeah, it's going to eat you, so you better get there. <laughs> yeah. So this all, all these sounds, they don't have to be music. But they're just sounds, and they affect our moods. They affect our behavior patterns. If you're walking down the street and you hear gunshots out in front of you, a sound, you're probably not going to just keep on walking, right? 
You might turn around and walk the other way. Or, depending who you are, you might run toward it. Who knows? But it's going to affect your patterns of behavior. We cannot change that. It's how God made us. Now, in the ancient world, uh, Plato was very concerned about how the popular music of his day uh, affected people because the influence it was having on the behavior of the young people in Athens. Have we ever heard anything like that? These young kids and their music, right? We always concerned about what that is and how it's going to change how they interact with one another. Think about how much of culture, and particularly youth culture, is conditioned by the popular music that they hear. In many ways, it influences the way that we interact with one another, based on the lyrics, based on the sounds, based on the rhythms, etc. Some, some songs create sounds and come with a rhythm that make you want to, they make you want to dance. And so not only then are you just listening to it, but then you learn forms of dancing that go with it. And it changes the way you're going to listen to that. I'm sure all of us have a few songs that as soon as they start to play, uh, we just, you know, kind of can't stop. <laughs> We're ready. Our foot starts tapping or our body starts moving in some way. It just moves us differently. Uh, music has this huge influence, and not just on teenagers, not just on children, but on all of us. And we can't change that. It's, it's created to set an intentional mood. And that's really important as we think about its influence on us as we relate to how music is used specifically within the church. So, for example, when I say elevator music, what is that? What's that? Jazz. It's a, it can be a certain form of jazz, yeah? Yeah, it's usually instrumental, right? Is it, uh, is it dissonant and, and unsettling? It, it's usually calming and smooth, right? You probably don't want dissonant music while you're riding on something that goes 35 stories in the air or whatever and can drop at any moment and plunge you to your death. Think about that next time you're on an elevator. Right? The idea is to soothe the environment because of the activity you're participating in. There's, there's a reason for that. Uh, what about hold music? When you're on the phone for 36 hours with Comcast, they play music, right? We all kind of, and then every 10 seconds they say, please continue to hold. Uh, but there's music in the background. What's the intention of that? To make you angry, yeah. <laughs> to get you to hang up. Uh, so you can memorize the same 30 seconds that you hear over and over again. Right. The idea, at least, is that it gives you uh, something uh, to at least uh, capture your attention so you know that they're still there and they haven't hung up or whatever else. You have at least some noise to know that they're still around. Uh, study music. Our study music, if you spend any time reading or studying something, is probably not going to be the same music that you listen to while you're on a road trip. Right, so we have all these ways of categorizing music in our minds. On, uh, on Spotify, I've seen playlists, one called Songs to Make You Cry. People are out to find music that will make them cry, apparently. Everyone, I guess, just needs a good cry every now and then, apparently. One of my favorite playlists that I do listen to is called Songs That Get White People Turnt. Uh, they're really, really good songs. These are the kind that when we hear them, we just can't stop singing and dancing to them. Things like can't stop believing. You know what I'm talking about. See, you're all, nah, yeah, 
<laughs> You're thinking about it now and starting to dance in your head. What's that? <laughs> You're changing it. Now, this is, this is something that we probably, like a lot of what we've discussed, we probably don't think a lot about. Uh, but the influence is overwhelming. Now, we can think about where we see, uh, where we see the same sort of thing happening within the Scripture. Uh, think about the Old Testament and the explosive temper of King Saul and uh, what that often resulted in. But there was a remedy offered, at least for a time, in 1 Samuel. So look at 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, we'll start in verse 14. And it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So what's going on here? Okay. Yeah, the music that David plays for Saul is changing his mood, right? It's changing the whole environment and how he's... Uh, what, are, what are going to be the implications of that for Saul and everyone around him? <laughs> yeah, well, that comes later. David's quite young at this point. But yes... Right? He's, his, he's calming down, right? He's, his, his mood is being changed. He's not inflamed in the way that he might be because of uh, what uh, the Scriptures tell us here, that he has a harmful spirit. This harmful spirit has departed. His mood has changed, all because the Bible's attributing this to the music that David played on his lyre. Now, if I took out a lyre and played it for you skillfully it wouldn't do the same thing for you that it did for Saul because our ears are not tuned to the music of a lyre. It's, uh, it's okay. It's kind of neat. It's interesting because we don't really hear that anymore in our day. Uh, but it wouldn't have the same influence on us as it did with Saul versus something that we might hear that we're more accustomed to. But we see specifically here that this music is used to calm the spirit. It can also be used to excite desire. Sometimes you hear music and it really starts to uh, pump you up. If you ever go to the gym and you have a workout track that you uh, put in your earbuds while you're working out, uh, it's probably not going to be um, Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. 
Eye of the tiger, exactly. It's going to get you going, right? You're going to run up the stairs. You're, you're ready to go. <laughs> uh, music can be used to uh, even, you see, like uh, snake charmers use music, right? Uh, they're, they're bringing some kind of the idea. I don't know if it's real or not, but they're bringing some kind of calming mood. Uh, and even the serpents respond. Uh, even people use uh, music in their greenhouses to promote plant growth. I don't know whether or not that works, but, uh, but why do they even think that it might work? Because it works on us, right? Music changes our mood. One of the things Felicia and I do is we have, uh, we have um, our alarm is just set to a different song every morning. And so we take turns choosing what song it is when the other person's not listening to it. And sometimes it's nice and soothing because of what we chose. But every now and then, as you might imagine, I enjoy something that wakes us up quickly. And so I, the Tiger, might play on the radio or um, Thunderstruck by ACDC was recent. That one woke us up quickly. Right? So these, these have... An effect on us. Usually that effect is being smacked or whatever, but depending on what's going on, we're going to respond differently. Now, maybe we assume that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. I want you to imagine watching an entire movie with no musical soundtrack to it whatsoever. What would that be like? Think of, uh, Billy, since you... Uh, since you brought it up. All right, imagine this movie without this music. It's just not the same, is it? It's just a guy running through the streets up and down a set of stairs in Philly, and everyone's wondering what the heck he's doing. But you throw some music on top of it, and all of a sudden it's one of the most epic soundtracks in the history of cinema. Oh, yeah, Hulk Hogan, yeah. Well, Nigerians think WWF is real. Yeah. Yeah. A man with red underwear on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it creates some kind of scenario, some kind of mood, some kind of idea, right? I hear that song. If I'm working out especially, I think I'm, I'm ready to conquer the world. I'm just, I've got it. I've got it in me. Rocky could, and so I can, right? <laughs> so it can create that kind of mood. We can have music that creates suspense. It creates sadness. It creates joy. You're probably not going to hear, uh, you're not going to hear some happy, uh, joyful song in a, uh, a thriller movie when, uh, when someone's about to get hacked to pieces, right? Uh, we're not going to hear uh, some some uh, you know piano music in the back the background in a major key, uh, it just doesn't work, right? Uh, other music sparks our interest immediately because of its association. So, I've got uh, this. This will be for our um, for our more uh, senior saints. What what song does this? What does this remind you of? The Lone Ranger. I was looking at Steve. I knew he would be the first to have it, right? The Lone Ranger. Yeah. Now, Wesley, what does this song remind you of? Have you ever heard this song? You've heard it, but you don't have any idea. Maybe some running horses, and that's it. Yeah. This is called the William Tell Overture. So someone who was 
even older than Steve. Or Caddyshack. Or Caddyshack, yeah, if you've ever seen Caddyshack, yeah. Uh, we all associate the same thing, yeah, run. Bugs Bunny, yeah. We all have idea. We've heard the song, we tie it to something, we associate it to something. And that changes. That changes the way we listen to it, right? It changes the way we think about what we're experiencing. Now, how much music influences our behavior and how much it influences our mood, uh, that's all conjecture. But the fact that it does influence our behavior, the fact that it does influence our mood is without dispute. What happened when Elvis became very popular in our culture? What were the reactions? More hip swivel, and that for some was really good, and for others it was the worst thing that's ever happened in American culture, right? What's that? Yes, yeah, exactly. The TV angles got wider because they didn't want to narrow in on what was going on, so we back out a little bit so it's not as obvious what Elvis was doing. <laughs> wow. Jeff with a dad joke from the top rope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's uh, Forrest Gump's good friend was Elvis. Um, the Beatles, same kind of thing, right? There were a lot of, uh, a lot of older people that thought uh, it could not get any worse than this. The Beatles are on the scene. Now, I think parents, if they compared what a lot of young people listen to today, and the Beatles would much prefer that they listen to uh, the Beatles, right? I want to hold your hand versus a lot of what a rap song might say. I'll just leave it right there. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. And, and the reality is that we are not comfortable with silence. If I just was quiet for a minute, we just sat here in silence, we would start to feel uncomfortable. So I'm not going to do that right now. But we start to get tense. We start to think maybe something should be happening. Something's wrong. Or I don't want to be the one to make any noise because it's going to uh, unsettle the whole thing. Yeah. That's right. You got to have the fan on, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now he's chirping all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Mhm. Yeah, the creaking door, the footsteps. Yeah, it's something more uh, describable. Right. There's, there's all kinds of ways. And the more you think about it, the more you realize sounds and music we associate to so many different things in life. Uh, most of life is associated in, in these ways. Um, now, how do we make the differentiation between a sound and music? I think we can all agree that a jackhammer is not music. Right? Now, there is sound. There's pitch. There's, uh, there's sound waves going through the air, and we're certainly hearing that. But I don't think you're going to buy an album and just sit in your uh, living room and gather the family around to listen to a jackhammer. But, you know, have you ever seen, seriously, you see these groups, they throw a jackhammer Yeah, so, so there, the sound is not necessarily uh, the, the thing. It's what we do with those sounds, right? How do we put these sounds together? And it's when we start to make a sequence, a melody... Uh, that we can start to put it together and say, now we have some form of music. And it can be very simplistic. It can be very complex. The sound of music, as Billy might say. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's a great point. And, and it's going to adapt as we move in and out of our cultural surroundings. We automatically, we start to adjust. Now, to most of you who are from here, you don't, you tell me all the time how I don't have a southern accent. But if I call someone that I knew back out west in Colorado, like, what happened to you? We used to understand what you say. And now we don't understand you. <laughs> it changes. Yeah. Yeah, and that changes too. That'll change when you get into Eastern music. The differences between Eastern and Western music are based on those, those kind of tonal differences. It can be this very same sound that you're making in terms of how you move your mouth and everything else, but whether it's a higher pitch or a lower pitch changes the entire meaning. It's, uh, it's really a fascinating thing. So as we think about all of these, what, what is it then? Is it, uh, can I call, uh, when I hear someone speak with, uh, with an accent because they learned English as a second language and maybe they're from South America, is it music that I'm hearing that? I don't, I don't think we call that music. I don't think we should call that music because music has something... Uh, very specific to do with sound, that it's intentionally put together to make a melody or to make a harmony. Music has uh, some very specific elements to it. It has melody, harmony, it has rhythm, so how it's going to be paced, and then it has something called timbre, and that's how the sound of the instrument influences uh, what that music's going to be. So, for example, I could play, uh, I could play uh, middle C on the piano. I can play that same note on a violin. I can play that same note on a trombone. And while it's the same note, it's going to sound different in each of those instruments. That's called timbre, and that's one of the elements of uh, music. So, again, a song can have a sequence of sounds, happy birthday, melody, and that makes it music. There's rhythm, there's, uh, there's melody, and there's a timbre based on what instrument you're playing on. A, san- a song can and usually does have harmony, and that's the chords as they start to layer those notes on top of each other. And that's all very mathematical. Uh, so why is it musical to play certain sounds and maybe not certain others? Well, uh, there's a mathematical relationship between the tones as they're used together. And we may not be able to understand what that is, and I don't, Uh, But it's inherent. You hear it. We all hear these things, and we know inherently, just as we looked at pictures and said, I know that that's beautiful. I can't tell you necessarily why, but I know whether or not it's beautiful. In the same way, we can hear something often and say, I know that that's music, and I know that it's, it's beautiful. Again, it may not be my preference. It may not be something I want to listen to all the time, but inherently I can hear it and know that it is beautiful. Remember those principles we talked about, and I think those are at play, proportion and uh, harmony and simplicity and complexity and how all of that works together. So uh, in, in Western music, we actually all instinctively know the mathematical pattern of popular music. You hear it all the time, and you don't necessarily know it, uh, but it is uh, what we hear in pretty much all rock and roll music and now a lot of modern um, uh, worship music. It's the one, four, five, if you are familiar at all with chord structures and music, but it's, uh, it's strumming on one chord and then going to another, and so there's three chords. And so 
you can, uh, you can probably learn three chords and play most music that's been written in the last uh, 20 years um, if you just transpose it to the right key. Uh, so all of you can very easily learn the piano or the guitar if all you want to play is, is uh, modern music. It's quite simple. But we're all attuned to that. And there's even a, there's a video on uh, YouTube. A guy took 100 uh, songs over the last 20 years and he did all of them playing the same chords uh, the whole the whole way through, uh, just change the rhythm, but it's all the same. Uh, so, the big controversy then, as it comes to the church, is the difference between so-called uh, praise music and that of classical hymnody, and how we hear and how we listen to and how we sing these songs has a lot more to do with the music behind it than necessarily the words, at least at first. And so we can't say that music is not important, it's just the words. It's not the case. The music that supports the words that we sing in the church are very important. And all of these elements have to come into play. We trust our musicians to be thinking about these things and to be employing uh, the, the principles that underlie all of this. Now, it's, it's no question that the words we sing must be biblical. That is, uh, that is uh, very, very important. The theology of the lyrics must be in accord with the theology in the Bible. But what about the music itself? What does theology have to do with the sounds of the music that we hear? Now, the Bible doesn't give us any written music. Now, there are, uh, arguably, there's musical um, instructions given to us in the book of Psalms. Uh, some of those things that we read, um, some of them tell what instrument to play. Uh, some of them give uh, instruction that it's, the scholars all argue about what they are, but a lot of uh, argument would lean toward uh, their instructions in terms of how fast to play or what, what tones to use uh, when you're playing it. So there is some kind of instruction, but we don't have written out music. And since the Bible doesn't give us that, does that mean that any music is acceptable in our worship? Is that what we can think of? And I'm going to end with this. I want you to think about this, and we'll, we'll talk about it more next week. So think of a song. Uh, let me find uh, real quick. We're out of time. All right. What about this song? song is that? Anyone know? House of the Rising Sun. Right. What is that song about? Anyone know? It, yeah, and what does he do? He goes to the House of the Rising. It's a house of ill repute, if we say it using uh, good language. Uh, now, knowing that, knowing this is a song about a house of ill repute. Do these words work with it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Should we sing Amazing Grace to a song about a house of ill repute? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that we should. Why? Because 
as you think about the song, as you think about the music that goes to it, I'm not thinking about God's amazing grace. I'm thinking about what the song that I know uh, means and what it says, how, it, how, it's, going to, uh, how it's going to play out uh, in the way I think about it. Now, if I... What, well, and that's what I was going to get to. If we, now, if we dig back in the past a little bit and find some kind of melody or harmony that nobody's familiar with, uh, that might change things, that changes things a little bit. So, for example, uh, and this is not just uh, the song itself, but everything around the song and the person who writes the song. So, uh, we sang last week one of my favorite hymns of all time, It Is Well With My Soul. We all love that song. I'm about to ruin it for you. Uh, who wrote It Is Well? Anyone know the name? Horatio Spafford, right? Uh, and we know the story of uh, what I think Sam even talked about it last week. Uh, what, what happened that inspired Horatio Spafford to write this song? Well, what most people don't know is that Horatio Spafford eventually proved to be an absolute heretic. And in fact, he started his own cult called the Spaffordites. And uh, they all really uh, completely denied and walked away from the gospel altogether. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't sing it as well? No, I don't think so. I love that song and what it means, and it's true, and all truth is God's truth. However, if Horatio Spafford's legacy and the Spaffordites still lived on today, and they were as prominent as a cult as something like Jehovah's Witnesses, we would have nothing to do with that song. Right, so these associations matter. It's not just about the lyrics, and it's not just about the music, but then the associations, House of the Rising Sun and Amazing Grace. These shouldn't be married together because of the associations. Now, there's a lot of um, false ideas about how some of this has or has not come together in church history, and uh, we'll talk about that next time. So, that's a, that's a rumor and I'm going to dispel it next time, yes. Yeah. It's a very popular uh, rumor, though. Father, thanks so much for our time, uh, giving us the opportunity to think about this really important subject of uh, music and what it is and how it influences us. And uh, as we continue uh, to think about this, what its place is and how we utilize it within the church. And so, Lord, help us uh, to think critically, uh, to think responsibly, to think as Christians as we put all these pieces together uh, to, uh, to worship you more fully uh, and to be able to do so with, uh, with uh, clean consciences, with, uh, with rightly oriented hearts, uh, that we might bring all glory to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.